Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Hey, podcast listener. Do you love talking about movies, music, TV, comics, and games? Then you should be listening to The Great Pop Culture Debate, back in bigger than ever for season nine. This season, the panelists discuss the best James Bond film, the best Elton John single, the best Nickelodeon original series, the best Batman villain, and so much more. Find the show wherever you listen to podcasts or head to greatpopculturedebate.com. More than 100 topics are already available. Subscribe today. Busy being black means we're busy building our legacy. What can we create that answers the questions we have today and which provides a manual for those of tomorrow? Topher Campbell is an award-winning director of stage and screen who came of age as a model and club kid on the heady streets of London, New York, and Paris, and who, alongside the photographer Ajamu, created the UK's first ever black LGBTQ archive. He and Ajamu began collecting what would become the archive to counter the persistently negative narratives about black gay life, works reflective of identity, joy, intimacy, and friendship. We speak about his latest film, Fetish, where he takes to the streets of New York nude to celebrate Basquiat, his short film, Invisible, and how we cultivate fearlessness and authenticity while navigating in a world that often treats us like we shouldn't be here and often asks us to be something else. For those who've listened since episode one, and indeed my friends who are listening, you'll be unsurprised that the conversation covers objectification, the commoditization of the black body, and slavery, things I'm going to keep banging on about until I die. I'm Josh Rivers, and I'm busy being black with Topher Campbell. I think the best place for us to start is perhaps with fetish. Yeah. Um, Am I right that that's your most recent work? That's my most recent work. Yeah, I'm I'm directing a Raisin in the Sun for um, uh, a drum school, a prestigious article called Mountain View. But then my last actual piece of work completely was fetish in New York, and just completed this year actually. Yeah. Talk me through the process for fetish. Uh, perhaps not the process, actually. Take me back to the genesis of, of Fetish. Well, Fetish came about because I got very upset, like a lot of people, with what was happening in, in the United States and also what's happening in the UK with the disproportionate um, kind of stop and search and, and with people dying in you know, the custody of the um, Home Office as they're being deported. David Bayanga, there's lots of people who died here. And people who died in the States. And I couldn't watch the videos. And I think it was Tamir Rice that got me, actually. It was Tamir Rice that kind of really just... He was like, you know, a 12-year-old kid. Mm-hmm. And it was the stories that were being told about him. And it was the in- inhumanity of it all. It was the fact that, you know, people were being left for hours on the street, Freddie Douglas, when um, Sandra Bland... What happened to Sandra Bland? I mean, it was just this constant, almost numbing inhumanity. Um, so I kind of, um, I didn't, have, I couldn't watch the videos. I couldn't watch the actual. I could watch. I could read the reports. I could read what they said, but watching someone getting shot and killed or, or strangled and killed, uh, Philando Castile, was just. An, I couldn't do it. But at the same time, um, I felt very much um, that I identified with the kind of danger that those black bodies, those black people were in. And I really felt strongly about this, emotionally, and it kind of it was something that weighed heavily on me, and it, subconsciously it was always there. And it's reflected in the minor scrapes you have as a black man walking and living around the world, whether it be uh, the way you're questioned for being in a certain kind of space, whether it be Tesco's, 
or, or mm. brutes yeah. or, or standing on a street corner for younger black boys or driving a car, you know, <laughs> yeah. that may be a prestigious car or not, uh, of sitting in a first-class seat on, on, on an airplane, um, all sorts of ways in which you're questioned and your, your, your presence is questioned as a black mm. person. Why are you here? Why are you here? What permission do you have? And what are you doing? Um, and also professionally as well, you know, why? how come you're on the set of EastEnders as the director at a young age? How come you're directing the show at the West Yorkshire Playhouse on the main stage at a young age? How come you're, you know, constantly this constant questioning? So there's this kind of background of questioning. And I've been stopped and searched. I've been stopped at Police Point in America and in the UK. So I had a lot of anger as well. There's a lot of anger and frustration. So... I wanted to make a piece of work which was not about, um, uh, not just a protest, not just saying things, but also just kind of was really a kind of an honour, honouring people, and also was like a way of trying to get to a more subconscious level of what it is like to experience the sort of things I'm talking about and to be in that place. So it's about a lot of the stuff that we repress, the pain, but also it's about the kind of way in which we deal with it, which is, is through asserting our bodies in the spaces. So like through fashion, mm. through dance, through the, obviously our music artists do that, our actors do that, and through our words as well, our writers do that. And also um, I wanted to... I wanted it to be a, a, a journey, you know, a piece of work that was a journey, both for me personally, a protest, a physical protest on the streets of Manhattan, and also to be a journey for you if you watch it as well. Why Basquiat? Because uh, in, the, in the UK, um, a, a large retrospective exhibition was happening at the Barbican yes. Theatre, and a organisation or a little company uh, called... Video Jam, who were based in Manchester, wanted to commission six artists to respond to Basquiat. And I've, I, Basquiat is somebody who I've known about, um, not enough, but I discovered him by accident in Barcelona, back in the 90s. He was on a postcard, some of his work was on postcards, in the Miru Museum in Barcelona on the hill there. Mm. And I kind of like was like, who, who the fuck's this? I mean, this is, who's this guy? Who's this guy or girl? I didn't know who it was. Jean-Michel right. Yeah. And um, <clears throat> I thought it was probably a French artist, black artist. It must have been black artist because there's something about the images, even on a postcard, that told me this person isn't a Caucasian. Really? It was just the energy of the stuff. That's how I discovered Basquiat, just by postcards, which is ironic because it was postcards that gave, he gave to Warhol that helped him um, collaborate with Warhol. So there's a so there was just this kind of thing around that, and I just really felt that um, I was like there was something about me and Basquiat that I could get into. He was, uh, I mean, he's a genius, you know, he's brilliant. Mm. But um, the kind of thing about being a young black artist, I mean, me in the nineties, him in the in the seventies and eighties, was very much around uh, the kinds of ways in which he was defined by his blackness. And mm. by his sexuality, he's definitely a, uh, a bisexual man. But also, <clears throat> the fact that he was othered, you know, the idea that he was exotic and different and from the street and mm -hmm. he was dangerous and he was real and authentic and this all, all these kind of labels that they put, put, on, put on him. And the fact he was very beautiful as well mm. and people really loved his, his looks. And, and so there was, some of, there was some of the... I had some of that experience as a young man at a time way before uh, the kinds of conversations around race and, and identity were current in the mainstream then they are now. There was no Black Lives Matter, there was no Me Too, there was, no, there was nothing, there was nothing really in black British culture <laughs> that kind of allowed you to have a place other than just a black person, a generic black man. Right. And, or, and as an artist or an emerging artist, because I didn't even know what that meant for myself, as a, and, and being around London and, and the fashion scene as a model and being around London, skimming the music scene and being very much in the theatre scene and skimming the film scene and being the, that whole million in the club scene. It was like, you know, you were kind of taken up in a certain kind of way and um, there wasn't anybody to talk to. <laughs> there, weren't many, there weren't many people like you. And so it was very... So I thought, oh, this is interesting because the Basquiat, in his genius... Um, uh, and also he was ambitious, and I was an ambitious young kid, um, was somebody who, you know, could have been my older brother, 
sort of. And um, so he he just wasn't fascinating on that level. And then there's his kind of politicisation and the fact that his work wasn't about race. <laughs> his work, he just happened to be a person of colour. His work was about an expression of masculinity, an expression of colour, an expression of soul and spirit, um, an expression of a kinds of humanity and a kinds of history. And he was aware of himself. So when he came to the UK, he was really interested in the enslaved trade because he talk, did work around, you know, the Tate and Lyle. Mm. You know, he did stuff. And also when his, his, his friend was killed by the police in the 1983 or 4. That kind of really affected him because mm-hmm. it was his mate. And it was exactly the same thing that's happened now, but there weren't there were no smartphones then. So he was like Black Lives Matter and everything else way before there was an articulation of it. He was, what do you call it, intersectional. <laughs> before the word intersection was even invented. I felt that he, I wanted to honour him and the spirit of truth about what it is to be black, not what it, and not just what it is to be black, but what it is to be a man, what it is to be an artist, what it is to there to defy convention, what it is to completely be questioning yourself as a human being all the time, what it means to make work, and what it means to be ambitious and conscious of that mm. you're in this kind of commercial, you're manifesting yourself in a very commercial space. I'm interested. I'm really interested in what you said about his work not being about being black. Mm. it is right like it it is it's about there's the graffiti and there is the complete imbuing of his work with his experience as a black man as he inside interacted with the world maybe that's my that's me projecting what I, i what i see in his work versus how he applied blackness to his work if at all his work was about disrupting and displacing position with which you see many things and one of those things was blackness right so he was quite witty and you know he used words so he would be able to find a way of positioning the black subject or body mm. as he saw it mm. and then overturning it and play, displacing it and he put words around it that would kind of confuse and he crossed the words out so he'd kind of try and de- deconstruct the words in the paintings and through dis- deconstructing them he'd ask you to think differently about what you were looking right. at so the place may be a starting point that may be a starting point like, just like me I use my black body I use other black subjects um, but my work's about humanity his work is more about um, kind of trying to see things uh, see beyond the way in which you are asked to see things. Yes, you know, and I think that critical analysis wasn't available in the nineteen eighties, right? Because he was this guy with dreadlocks who was this young kid, and he was from the hood, but he wasn't from the hood. Right. <laughs> he was from fucking middle class family, a successful businessman, father, uh, educated mother. And so, is this why you did it naked? The nakedness was, um, yeah, lots of different levels. The nakedness was partly to do was a last hurrah because you know I'm getting old and it was like, or getting older and I was like, you know, how how do I? I mean, how do I? How do I claim some of the um, fetishization, the objectification, and the insecurity that I have about my body? Um, how do I claim that? That was one level. And another level was how do I answer? the whole thing around this fascination about black men and their dicks you mm. know how do I answer that but when I was kind of showing it I showed it in like a private I showed a preview somebody said you know you can only do this because you probably have no worries about the size of your dick and I was like oh that's interesting mm. but you think that that is the I mean that was that your, your entry point as a young black gay man your entry point into this was about that. Right, there, right, right, right. There was no other issues for you. And, and that wasn't, <clears throat> but for me, that wasn't the issue. The idea was around kind of everything that you do. To, it brings in all those questions about nudity and public nudity yes. and public decency and sexuality and sex and what we cover up. So it's not just about being black. It's about the whole, the whole question of sexual uh, organs uh, reproductive organs, you know, uh, organs that waste organs in, in in a social space, yes, and what that means, um, and of course, being a black man, there's also that whole thing that I mentioned earlier about you know, people's fascination with black people and their, you know, in the back in the day, it was you know in in the, in the deep south, and also in our colonial 
enslaved history in Nigeria, the places where it was now become Nigeria, all over the Caribbean, all over Brazil, north parts of Brazil. We were castrated. Haiti, we were castrated. Uh-huh. Black men. So, the, so it was a defiance. So another side of it, it was a defiance, a protest. So within this walking coalesce, you know, there's a lot of things. It's like nuclear physics, you know. You, when you condense it, there are lots of particles in there. Yes. It's made up of lots of things. It's not just one thing. That yeah. would just be ridiculous. It's personal. It's political. It's questioning. It's ephemeral. It's about aging. It's about youth. It's about skin tone and color. Mm. It's about the different surfaces that meet there. About you know flesh and blood and vulnerability and concrete. And you know, mm-hmm. and the city, so it's really all about those things, really, as well. Um, and, and in doing so, hopefully, it points more towards humanity than it does anything else. What I like so much about the work that you do is that I find that it is it brings out in me, I don't know what it does for other people, obviously, but it brings out for me, um, things that are things that I haven't been able to answer mm. in my head. So, you know, you're talking about the kind of how layered fetish is. But I ask about the nakedness. One, because it's the most obvious part of the film besides Basquiat and New York and Topher yeah. Campbell. But because I, I see that nakedness in that public space as a reclamation of my own body. You know, if when we're talking about objectification and moving through the world, I find that I've, I try to shrink myself mm. I don't want the attention. I, I don't want you to look at my body. I don't want you to ask me how often I go I mean, to the gym. I don't... Exactly. But one thing that isn't, isn't talked about for men, straight or gay or bisexual or otherwise queer, if you are considered beautiful or if you're considered attractive, then, or attractive people generally, you are not considered to be vulnerable. You're, not, you're supposed to be mm. blessed in some way. You're yes. supposed to be you know, ordained with some kind of privilege. And maybe that, that is the case. But what, the same, what also happens is that people then do not take the time to uh, get to know, if that's the best way of putting it. They're not really interested in you. That's right. <laughs> They're only interested in the way you look and what you, what you can do for them in their, their oral and, and visual sensation. You know, yeah. wow, you know, wow, wow, wow. And you get, the, you get this thing going, coming at you from all sides. And it's very, very destabilizing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it can be, I mean, for self-esteem, it can do lots of different things. It can pull you in lots of different directions at the same time. It can give you an idea, especially if you're very young. I say very young, as I say under 30, is, is that you can, you, can, um, you can become, you can start to believe it. <laughs> you can start to believe it's true. And it can start mm-hmm. to think that you have certain kind of ways of operating in life which are, are, you're immune from, which is just bullshit. Yeah, it's nuts. It, but you have to grow up beyond that. And sometimes you get people uh, acting towards you in ways which are just really bizarre. Gross, in fact. And gross. Yeah. And have jealousy <laughs> out of their own lack of self-esteem. Mm. Or out of if you're black as well, out of racism or dismissing you as pretty and, and this and all that sort of stuff. So I wanted to bring some of that conversation into the into the film as well. That there's a level at which, when someone says, "You have the you had the privilege," even I mean, uh, regardless of how I might feel about myself on the inside, you have the privilege of having an acceptable. You look acceptable, yes, and therefore you can exploit that. And I think that's true. Uh, and I think that's very, very true. And I wonder about that, you know, if I was had a disability or if I was very overweight at the time or, if, you know, all sorts of other things that were going on that could be possible. Um, and I, I think that's okay. It's yeah. okay. That's, that's, that's me as an artist. I'm, that's, that's the way I am. Yeah, you know? yeah you're Topher Campbell. Yeah, I'm so Topher Campbell. Just be Topher. Cindy Sherman, Cindy Sherman, you know, yeah. she did her stuff with her body, you know, when, when, you know all, all, lots of people work their bodies, you know, and stuff. You know, so... And that's that's legit a legit, legitimate space for me, canvas for me to paint from. Um, but I think the issues around speaking up, especially in this con, con this, this this amazing um, arena we're in now, which is very different to when I was younger, of 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 you know non-binary sexualities mm-hmm. and identities and transgender sexualities and identities and you know and it's just a very different kind of arena mm. but but the guy that ex- the, the intersectionality that I experienced still exists that's right <laughs> the fact that I happen to be com- 
conventional and I'm very happy to be a man and I'm not really, I mean, in a conventional sense from my birth and I have no, doesn't mean to say I, don't, I can't enter into this dialogue in this conversation. That's absolutely right. Yeah, I think that, yeah. I feel like that's part of the hurdle of the conversation mm. is, is people realizing that, because I think those who are not uh, quote unquote conventional, right, mm. as we, you know, who don't fit yeah, whatever well, I mean, cons- restrictive, yeah, yeah, restrictive societal norms we yeah. live in, but yeah. For people who fall outside of that, I think they understand mm. that we can have a conversation mm. about our imbricated identities, right? Yeah, <laughs> like, you yeah, know, all this yeah, layering that yeah, that happens. Yeah. And I think it's it's on us to realize that oh, just because the conversation is moved and it's expanded doesn't mean that we're not included in that space yeah, to have that conversation. Yeah, yeah. You know, <clears throat> the body thing is something really is 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 a point I'd like to to tease out more. Okay. Particularly because I think it links well to invisible. Fine, right. And let me see if this works how I want to get there. So linking to the reclamation of the body, mm. you know, I was in a restaurant, I was serving, uh, w- waiting in a restaurant, mm. and this guy grabbed my ass, white guy grabbed my ass mm. when I was at his table and asked me if I was wearing a jock strap. Wow. And I was like, how is that okay? How is that okay? Yeah. Obviously, you don't react like that in the moment yeah, because, yeah, yeah. you know, I've learned not to, yeah, but... Yeah. I walked away feeling so shit about myself. Like, it's incredible. It's 2018. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm an old goddamn man now. I mean, I'm just like, I was quite shocked by being in New York trying to raise money for this film um, and being propositioned in a way which, not, I, which was partly subtle and partly not. You know, I mean, there, at one point there was somebody who did touch me inappropriately quite a lot, and there were various other times where I wanted to meet people who were going to helped me finance the film, I hoped, because that's all I was about. You know, I'm yeah. just like, I'm completely and stupidly focused when I'm doing a piece of work. But it'd be like, can we meet at half ten at night? All right. <laughs> you know, I'd be, like, I'd be like, I'd be like, I want to go to bed. You know what I'm saying? So, so it's like, I, but I think, yeah, the whole sexual harassment thing, I mean, I've been called names down the street. I've had all sorts of things happen to me when I was younger particularly. And, but, and as, I, as I would say, and I'm, I'm, I emphasize this because I was shocked because I was being an older person. And a friend of mine said, oh, you know, probably because you said you were doing this naked walking thing, thought you people think you're up for it. You know, you're up for it. But, um, but, uh, <laughs> but there you go. Like, yeah. just the display of our bodies yeah. means that they're available. For real. Right? It's nuts. Yeah, exactly. And that, and that means it's only... And the, the other thing is what I should mention about the, the fetish work and other bits of work around black male masculinity that I'm interested in is that can we have a conversation around uh, the body wasn't which isn't just centered on genitalia and on sex so the idea that you you can only talk about nakedness if you ah, talk about okay. sex yeah 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 Got so it. of course we we sensit- we desensitize when we have a conversation we have apps that promote this mm-hmm. uh, so i i think that conversation i think i think that conversation yeah i mean i used to be a waiter i used to be a model i used to uh, just just be sitting <laughs> sitting down to mind my own business you still get you still get shit happening and when it comes to the comes to the, what's broadly known as the gay scene whatever that means um but this, this i'm talking and then specifically talking about you know clubs where the mainly mainly majority are men who have sex with men kind of gather and were and they're particularly in the uk they're particularly focused around caucasian people mm-hmm. um then the, the kind of the the level of harassment you can have to endure can be quite high yeah you know and i think that's kind of very interesting to talk about as well because that kind of also is impacted on people's ideas of race and availability and the availability of the black body men and, body, and, and, and the value yeah. of it and, w- and women go through i mean it was when i got to about 35 or 36 I thought, oh shit this is what women go through <laughs> you know when you walk into a room and the first thing people do is comment on the way you look and, and people actually say, have said, oh, yeah, something about handsome, something about this, oh, yeah, this thing around handsome. And this is, uh, mm. Before, when I was young, it was beautiful. Now it's handsome. And you, this is not a complaint. This is just, the, it, gets ti- it gets tired, tiring not to be thought about outside of that. Yeah. You know, yeah. nobody says, you know, no, you know, people don't turn around and say, neurotic. I'm, I'm a bit neurotic, uh, shy. I'm very shy. Yes, humble. You know, uh, I'm also I'm humble. <laughs> no, but, um, you know, I'm a recluse. You know, virtually now. Mm. You know, there's all sorts of other things that you know people can define, be defined by. But if you if you have this sort of thing, so I think that's a very interesting area. I'm very much pro-black 
I'm not anti-white, I'm very pro-black. And that, therefore my focus is around world, black world culture and history uh, and the future as well, the futurism, which is part of also what I was doing with Fetish. I was also alluding to futurism. There's a, there's the, there's a kind of there's science fiction in this film as well. You know what I'm saying? I just yeah. put everything in it. It's yeah. science fiction. Fetish is also a mythic being. He's a god. So, um, yeah, so I'm sort of the idea of like, you know, being defined by the way that somebody sees you is fe- as a feminist idea. It's not necessarily an idea that comes from the, ma- the, uh, the male brain or experience. It's a feminist idea. Well, yes, so, because I think women and, and black men have in common yeah. among many things, but yeah. the objectification, yeah. the commoditization of the body. Definitely. And the uh, and its abuse as well, because we've yes. got to remember that that, that Subject women are subject to rape and abuse. When you look at what's happening with black trans women mm-hmm. in the United States, particularly, um, and in and in around the Caribbean, particularly Jamaica, it's just you know the whole idea of the feminine being dangerous. You know that the, there's a danger in femininity in itself, intrinsic to femininity, yes. is, is part of this conversation too. So, how have you learned to navigate this kind of near constant objectification? You know, or a reduction, rather. It's kind of a reductive viewpoint, right? To look at someone and only look at, only look at their body. I wrote about this last year. You know, you're hot for a black guy. <laughs> you know, I'm like, no one's asked me if I've read any books lately. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and so. Well, I think I think um, I think I don't know if I have learned to do it. I think I sometimes get still get very angry, and sometimes if it's not really about objectification, it's just about my presence being questioned, and that still happens to me in supermarkets or, for, or in airports or in driving it still happens you know that i'm questioned about my veracity my 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 truthfulness my place <laughs> in these in these in these environments so i don't know i mean i think i think we i think i think i don't know if i have i mean i just kind of just get on with life really i mean the the art is what makes it work for me mm. we're having the privilege and also the the tenacity and the stubbornness to make try and make good art is, is important and to kind of leave a legacy like ruckus for example is, is part of that to try and kind of create a whole different conversation around one's presence in the world yes. and the presence that one shares and, and sex with other people that's the, that's how i deal with it i don't deal with it i can't say i can de- i have dealt with it because it's still kind of it's still problematic because there are ways in which you know i feel frightened about walking down the street as a black man i feel scared you know the times where where I felt vulnerable about it, despite being six foot two or three, and 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 you know on you know kind of eighty plus kj or whatever. It's like it just doesn't that doesn't matter. It's about your. So I kind of for me it's the work that makes makes a difference for me. The work. The fact is the work stands. There's a truth in the work. Mm-hmm. You know? There's a truth Definitely. in it. You know what I'm saying so, not just my work. Yeah, but the work I've shared with other people and and knowing that other people are doing. Amazing things in this. Is arena. this what is this what inspired the you and Ajami to start pulling together the Ruckus Archive? Yeah, I mean the Ruckus Archive is um, for anybody who's not hasn't encountered it. It's a, it's an archive that um, categorizes and, and and brings together a recent history of Black, lesbian, gay, bisexual, trans experience, culture, uh, club culture, journalism, the arts, uh, personal essays and artifacts, and um, and brings it together. It sort of runs from mid seventies till to present day, and it's held in the London Metropolitan Archives in perpetuity. It's held there; they, they don't own it. And the Ruckus Archive came out of just that, trying to find a way of creating a different kind of narrative that lasted way beyond mm. our own personal narratives, our own personal lives. Everything's ephemeral. Everything's ephemeral. So, and it came out of another thing, which was a frustration about victimization. That, that I don't feel like a victim, you know. I never felt like a victim. I felt like I felt like a king most of the time. And so the idea is that myself and Ajamu, Ajamu is a artist photographer and and an activist and social. He's just an amazing guy. I mean, he's just many things. And we've been mates for almost thirty years. So it was really, really out of conversation since when we were very young back in the eighties when we were just having conversations about our futures you know and 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 I was always going to be in show business I was always going to make I was always going to be somewhere in the performance space but he has always been dedicated to photography and to exploring sexuality and race as an intersection and was a pioneer in that way and we were always having conversations 
sharing books, sharing ideas. And one of the things we came across in late 90s was this kind of frustration around why is it, because we, came, we lived through the HIV and AIDS second wave in the 90s, it's like why do we always get seen as problematic as as outside and we because you know we were living we having I was having fun when I was young you know what I'm saying I was mm. I was running around I was doing my things man I was like I was like <laughs> you know I was having fun London was great you know London New York you know it was this kind of thing you know Jama was having his did this thing called the Black Perverts Network and <laughs> you know there were just things happening uh, um, and we just thought well there's gonna other than this whole thing around HIV and AIDS and like. The idea of you know victims and race and racism and all this sort of stuff. You know, how terrible it is to be a black person. How terrible it is to be a gay person. How terrible it is to be both. And it was just like no, it's just like really. Because yes. we saw a whole kind of way in which we wanted to be express ourselves and be experience ourselves, which was more joyous, much more playful, much more fun. So we were all into inventing stuff. So Ruckus was this playful idea. It wasn't an archive first. It was just a playful idea. We launched it in 2000 at the ICA. We had book, re- we had readings, we had two go-go boys, we had Belasco images in the big... Cl- I mean, it, was, it wasn't necessarily a, 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 a... It wasn't a roadblock. A lot of people turned up. But it was certainly the first black queer takeover of an art space in wow. the UK. Wow. So... Galdem and BBZ, I'm just saying, <laughs> you know <what> I'm saying? <laughs> and Batimama, you hear me? So all these fantastic things that they are doing, it was done first by Ruckus, and so and it was not in the noughties, and this is when we weren't in social media yes. kind of life. We had mobile phones, and we had we had like you know you know um, one megapixel phone, terrible yeah. fashion, <laughs> terrible it was fashion, a terrible time for fashion. <laughs> yeah, well, it was you know. <laughs> And so, yeah, man, we just wanted to do something seriously fun. So Ruckus stands for, uh, outspelled R-U-K-U-S, is two things. It's from the Jamaican to make a ruckus, to, to, you know, to make noise, to, to, to stir mm. things up, to, to, to intervene. And the other side of Ruckus is a, a 1980s porn star with a big dick. So, okay. you know, so the idea of double meanings, like the family treasures. And, mm. and a gentleman's <laughs> from the north, so he has this kind of like northern humorous kind of way of doing that kind of like musical the family treasures and queen's jewels <laughs> little tongue in cheek you know what i'm saying <laughs> so like it was all kind of part of that and then also there was a political intent there was a an intent to try and bear witness and and kind of so of course we went to the artists we knew valerie mason john and the activists you know dennis carney and mark thompson and various other people and we just went around and we asked them to at around 2004 ish this is when we decided to do this. We thought, we actually, initially it was about an exhibition. We just let's do an exhibition. Yeah. And the John was like more gifted and experienced in exhibitions because he's a photographer. And, I, and, so I, and I'm more, for want of a better way of putting it, more experienced in events. So somehow we coalesced. Or, I mean, Antoine Rod, Dr. Antoine Rogers from Blackout UK mm-hmm. was uh, very young, younger and he was kind of volunteered with us. And he helped us. And, and there was lots of really interesting things we did I mean um, uh, um, and a lot of it's archived so what what we did was um, put these exhibitions together and then eventually those exhibitions we were well we've got all this material what do we do with it you know where can we put it and it was actually in Ajamu's basement Um, so Ajamu networked himself into various places and we thought about where we might put it and the Black Cultural Archives was a small space Mm, at the corner of Railton Road and, and Cold Harbour Lane in those days right? and it didn't exist as it is now and they weren't interrested. We approached the London, you know, we approached by the London Metropolitan Archive, which had done, which is the Hall Carpenter Archive, which is a gay archive, and they'd also got a black archive there. So they kind of had an idea, because they'd done some of the work around this. Right. So they were fantastic. They've been fantastic. They offered, they they said, we will look after it. Um, they asked us for 500 quid, and that kind of created the relationship with the London Metropolitan Archive. So it's there in perpetuity now. Wow. So if I pop off in the next minute or Ojama does, that it still exists. And it's not the, the definitive lesbian and gay archive of black life in this country. It's, it is the ruckus archive. Yes. You know, there could be... It is an archive. It's an archive. And it's in response to... You know, we're British, so, you know, Britain's all about archiving and history, you know, <laughs> all that stuff, you know. So, we, you know, we come from that place. We come from the celebration of history. We come from a, our education. Our manager is 
education, my education, it's all about history. We're historians as well, you know what I'm saying? We, we're making history and we're, we're living history. Do you history. mean that we as black people are historians as well? No, I'm saying I am. Right. You know, I'm okay. interested in where we come, the line of where we came from and where we're going and where we're going. And Ajamu too, we have, we have that in common. Ajamu, we have a, a, a common thirst for historical knowledge as a way of understanding our, our present, as a way of moving into the future. Yeah, I, um, I, I'm um, probably generalizing here, but I, I feel like it's a black thing in some ways. <laughs> Every black person I, I know is interested in history and yeah, culture yeah, and yeah. the connection. And yeah, I think the right? Ruckus yeah, Archive yeah. is a very important point. I think, I'll, I'll use myself as an example, me trying to find myself in the elders in, in a generation that came before and, and who is indeed still here, um, and in stories and in spaces, mm. you know, this idea that there is the Ruckus Archive somewhere, the work has actually started and been done mm. for, that anchor is there. It exists. And I find that to be such an incredibly comforting... Well, we didn't want the same experience for your generation or generations below you to, to have what I mean. There have. is no generation below me. There is. So I didn't want that. There was a drive for me and John who had a real drive because we didn't get to do the kind of things that, you know, you've got the millennials now. We didn't... We sort of we always passed over in a way. And, but at the same time... For, for black queers, there wasn't really anything in the UK. Mm. There's nothing happening. Nothing. There's nowhere to go. And so, but we were experiencing the first big HIV AIDS crisis, which was in the 90s in the UK, where our black brothers particularly were dying everywhere. There were suicide rates, crazy suicide rates. There was just, it was just like, nah, man, this can't be it. You yeah. know, this can't be the legacy of our existence and our generation's existence, there has to be something else. So we're driven by this. I love yeah. that quote, this can't be it. Yeah. I'm going to take a hard segue into Invisible. Yeah. Um, because it links back to our conversation about the body and space and fetish. Okay. But I think it moves the conversation along. The first time I watched Invisible, I didn't get it. Mm. And I think I actually said that to you. I was, I was very I was at your house and I was very confused and all mm. over the place. But actually, I've watched it two more times now. Mm. It's, it clicked, I think, but tell me if I'm wrong. So, and this is, again, this is what I love about your work, is because it incorporates the public space and the way the body moves. And so the first thing I noticed is that in the video, and Invisible is a, um, make sure, it's, it's, how do you, how would you describe Invisible? Sorry, I don't want to. Oh, I've, no, I was waiting for you to describe okay, it, actually, because I, like, I was interested. So the first thing I noticed is that he's, he's got a bald fist and he taps his fist and it becomes a palm. And it made me think of how we have to stop clenching. You know, we're always very conscious of anger and rage and how it manifests in the in the body. And so I saw that as like a nod, like at least pretend like you're relaxed. But he never really relaxes his hand, right? It's rigid. And then he's like creating space in between the water glasses. So there's like sustenance in the water, but it's transparent. And then he's creating that space in between, but just just enough space for him. And then, I th and then the next no notable moment for me is when he's outside. And I didn't, I really didn't get the, that was the bit I had the hardest part with at the beginning. Is that everyone's just kind of ignoring him as he's walking along. And he's kind of having these like frantic movements between these people and dodging things. And I was like, ah, it's how we interact with the world, right? <laughs> it's it's the inner dialogue. It's I, I, I you can't go there. Turn left here. Spin. Oh, you got it. It's it's us dodging. Yeah. Wow, that's great. That's, that, that's, that's come along a long that's, way. That's then, deep, man. <laughs> our first conversation. I think you should write something about it because I. I'm, okay, know, I will. I like the short. Firstly, I like the short the short form. Someone said to me, "Why are you doing a feature?" And I'm like. I just realised I do short films because you can. It's less expensive, and you don't have to deal with the system so much. And you know, and I'm like, I'm not really, you know, I'm not really very patient. I just want to get things done. Invisible. Um, okay. Well, my, I mean, all that you say is true. I mean, I, Invisible's partly rather like fetish. Like, I don't really want to uh, close things down. I want right. to open things up. So when you see something, you're stimulated visually by it. And so that means you're opening, opened up to something. That's what, you know, that's what visual is, visual, visual. And so, like, you know, so Invisible is a, a collaboration between myself and an amazing, my friend, my, my, my younger brother, um, Jean Abreu. On a, on a corporal level, on just on a physical level, it's about, again, it's about the black body in spaces. It's about a masculine, a masculine, a man. And you know he has a suit. He look. He's that the apartment will be shot in. is worth five million pounds. 
So it's, you know, he's in this, even though he's clothed in this beautiful suit, in this beautiful apartment, the kinds of physical space he can inhabit are restricted. But you're right. right. It's also very much about the Well, then the choice of suit is interesting as well. The kind of space that you're in. And also his orange. Remember, there's orange in the, in, the, in the chair and the whole kind of colour palette is very carefully chosen. The, the brightest colour is orange in there. And that's the colour of meditation, the colour of mind. So you've got this thing where um, he's in this space and it's just beautiful space. Mm. And it's about preparation, whether mentally or physically. Yes, you, you yes. Know, you could, if you wanted to do it, you could like have him brushing his teeth and putting his coat on. And, but, you know, the but, but the, the, the suit is, is the yeah, armour, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. It's, the, it's how you and get And also by. the preparation, you know, he's having a drink of water. It's, everything is meticulous. The sound is meticulous. You know, the level of, of awareness of himself is meticulous. And then he leaves the space. But he leaves the space through a watched space. You get the, the kind of the, the camera yeah. opens up yeah. in his eye, and he's been watched and he's watching. So the it's about yeah, it's about this heightened sense of awareness of oneself in a social space, heightened sense of being watched. It comes from lots of different things down my road, down near where I live, near the Stradling Road in North London. There are at least ten cameras before I get to the chief station. I counted them, and I got so fucking pissed off. I was like, "Fuck off, you <laughs> motherfuckers!" I mean, what the fuck? And, yeah. and some of them are mounted on these, like, structures where which are rooted into the ground and they're about three, two feet bases, two foot square bases. And they're, like, you know, at least 25, 30 feet high. And they just, you know, and it's just like, why are these cameras here? Right. Why is it that I can't go from my house to the tube station without being seen at least 30 times on fucking cameras? There's the cameras at the intersection, there's cameras... Tesco's is cameras. It's just cameras everywhere, and it was like, and and I've got this thing around free being free. I think I want to be free. I want to be a free human being. I'm born naked and free. I want to be free. So this idea, a certain paranoia exists. Therefore, if you live in the Mm. city, and paranoia, and that does impact. It is except everyone experiences paranoia of some kind, or, or but it's accentuated. If you're, again, if you're a person of colour, because, you know, your space, how you are, is easily misinterpreted or manufactured in kinds of ways which mm. you have and no control And ostensibly those cameras are for you. And they're for you. <laughs> they're, and, 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 you know, they were, they're there to stop crime. Mm-hmm, CCTV mm-hmm. camera, they're here for your, it's here for your safety and convenience. Right, exactly. What's... And I used that, I, I record, I took that and I recorded that and I put it into a play because I did a whole thing about detention centres. So this, this is a kind of a serious area for me, you see, because it's like, I just don't like this idea, because I'm young, old enough to know that there weren't cameras around at one point. There weren't so many cameras around mm. in the 90s. It just wasn't. My ute was all about freeness, you know? Now, we all kind of have a little bit of a like, halcyon image of when we were younger. There's obviously lots of other shit going on sure. in the 70s and 80s that I didn't know about. So that's one thing. So this is a very corporal, very visceral thing. But yes, you're also right. There's also the subconscious and... The paranoia and the feeling of being watched, the feeling of being invisible. <laughs> it's kind of a contradiction. The feeling of being watched, but the thing. So even when you see, you're not being seen. It goes back to James Baldwin, the evidence of things not seen, the idea that you, you know, even in being seen in your fullest corporal level self, you are invisible. <laughs> so but he, also not invisible. Yeah. It's like the paradox of the black body, right? Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, like. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> you're at once invisible you're but in full view. In full view. In, in No Name on the Street, James Baldwin's in Leicester Square, at a, 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 probably at what's now the Odin or the Empire. And he had a woman ne- next to him, and, uh, and he was sitting watching a movie, and somehow the screen was flickering, and he recalls a point at which the woman next to him, the light must have passed over his face or something, and she saw him for the first time and had a shock. She was kind of had a look of shock in her. Oh, God, this, you know... You really are a black man, <laughs> and so and so. I kind of these little things kind of suck, stick around in your brain, mm. and they they call, they just to feed you little moments of helping to understand your own experience. And so the film is a reflection of many things in that way. So take me from, take me from there to fearlessness, right? So we're we're in a surveillance state. Yeah, we're at once invisible but also hyper visible. We are navigating, figuring out how to make it from point A to point B in one piece without our asses being grabbed or being objectified or being thrown in jail or being shot or being knifed, right? So it's an assault course. 
<laughs> and at the same time, we're trying to cultivate a fearlessness, an authenticity, a vulnerability, a tenderness. Mm. So, how do we get? But how do we connect these things? How or? Well, I think this is how you do it. I, think, I mean, it goes back to art and activism. What you're doing here with Busy Being Black is about it. Finding those spaces, those town hall spaces, those public spaces, which offer a different, or not even different, offer an opportunity to have a conversation. Mm. There's no other way. If we isolate ourselves and we look at ourselves through the, the cold screens of our mobile devices, we will not get anywhere. No. Um, and that's just the bottom line of it, man. That's just all that there is to it. We have to force our way into publicly engaged spaces, whether it be through art, through activism, through building communities in other ways. That's the answer. And without that, we are lost. Because without that, there's a lot of forces that in, in the world, in my view, which are, 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 are going to win. They're going to, they're going to win if we, don't, if we don't allow for those kind of conversations to take place. Because we can't trust our governments. No. Or local uh, or, or our national <laughs> governments. Theresa May has just proven that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, or, <laughs> Again. And with any government I've experienced, I, you know, since, since my political consciousness came, and sat in the Thatcher government through up until now, you know, in the UK, the governments are in France, the governments are in the United States. We can't trust those spaces. The, we can't trust the kind of conversations that happens in those spaces to look after us. Right. So we have to create narratives. So that's how we do it. So how do we create fearlessness? We create fearlessness by bravely, continually doing that. Now, listen, there's a huge amount of stuff that goes on that is intensified within the black communities and the queer communities. And, of course, if you're at the intersection of both within that, so mental illness, issues around narcotics and self-abuse, issues around loneliness, issues around how to have sex, you know, we are we are generations. And how all these things smash yeah, together yeah, and they're all linked. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, Ooh. and so you get, you get, it's very difficult. There's no easy answer. But I think creating spaces where, as, where, as, where, as I said, just, just said, really, where there are real opportunities for real conversations of all kinds. And the other thing I would do for an, as an individual, for me personally, well, like, is travel, man. Travel. Because traveling stops you from being locked into one society's paradigm always kind of helps you compare and contrast who you are where mm. you are and where you're going because you're going to be meeting inevitably if you uh, if, if, if you follow through you're inevitably going to be meeting some of the challenges your every way of being mm. so you know race is an invention an invention as, as, as Ralph Peck argued in I Am Not Your Negro and James Baldwin argues himself the idea of being black is an invention it's not it's not real it doesn't exist um, so it, it's yes, which doesn't mean we can't claim it. I think it, I'm thinking beyond that, though. I'm not thinking about claiming or not claiming. I, I, I'm very proud to be a black queer man. You know, I can talk about it in those terms, but I don't have to. It doesn't exist in terms of it being the way in which I historically and in the future am. You know, it doesn't really, it doesn't really have any real power over me. Other than that, which you know, I kind of embrace, you know, and in some ways, that's sort of quite a, a radical statement because, in a sense, it is. It, it says it, that you're it's because everybody, in some ways, is imprisoned by some kind of identity, you know. And so, I think the work that I do is all about kind of questioning humanity and our humanity, not necessarily just our racial identities. It's the prison bit about the identity, right? I've got a challenge you with that because. <laughs> because there's so much here. There's so much in it, right? It's a rich place. It's a rich place to be. Um, it's to start and it's from. A, it's to start from, yes. As in, I don't think that... I don't think identity is limiting. I think it's limitless. Fine, yeah. Cool. And so, the, the, yeah, because there isn't... Yeah, I like that. Yeah, because there isn't one or the other. It's yeah, both no, and. Cool. Yeah, cool. um, yeah, so it's interesting to hear, particularly that... Because so much of my existence feels so anchored in black queerness. The way the way I'm talking is, is this: when two, excuse me, I'm just no, I'm, I'm articulate articulate it a bit better than I just did there. I think people inspire me people like Toussaint Louverture and mm. and Desarnies and and um, and the whole kind of Haitian Revolution. You know why? Because the Haitian Revolution was a black revolution, and this is a piece of work I'm I'm also doing. 
And why was it a black revolution? Because when they looked at the way in which they wanted to live, they weren't looking at liberation from being slaves. They were looking at the way in which they were when they came from North, Western Africa. Yeah? Which was... Yeah. So they, were, they went back to the starting point. Yeah, they weren't going for... They weren't looking towards some kind of... French liberation thing. Ah, they were going so, back to black. Yeah, they were going, back to Africa rather. They, were, the they were going forward. <laughs> For those who are listening, Topher is pointing behind him and saying yeah, forward. They were going forward. And that's what I like about it. Oh, the other okay. thing, the other I, thing I like about it is that I've stopped saying slaves. I always talk about the enslaved. The enslaved, yes. Because we were, you know, because that's another piece of propaganda mm. around the situation. Kind of, co- com, you know, putting the situation, the economic and and physical situation that one was in, and the person that was in it. Yes, they're separate. Yes, the invention of servitude. Uh-huh. So when you yes. look at identity, so, yeah. you, you get me. I'm, I'm getting. So, yeah, it's coming to me yeah. now. So, <laughs> it's you like go, this. so, so yes, of course, within a 21st century, in fact, late 20th century, and particularly the last 200 years or 300 years, the invention of our racial identities is mm. is very very clear. Yes, but the future holds so much more. You see. Yes, I do believe this. You know, because I'm in my own lifetime. It's shifting, and sexuality has been shifting too, regardless of what the fuckers say. So, so I'm excited by those places. That's what excites me. Topher Campbell is a Jerwood award-winning director of stage, television, and film who creates generous works of art that allow us the space to see ourselves and draw our own conclusions about how we best make the most of our lives. You can find links to his work and the Ruckus Archive in our show notes. Busy Being Black is the podcast exploring how we live in the fullness of our queer black lives. Thank you to our partners, UK Black Pride and Blackout UK, and to you, the listeners. I would love to hear from you. If you have feedback about Busy Being Black or know of someone I should be in conversation with, please get in touch on busybeingblackpod at gmail.com. And remember, your support doesn't cost any money. Please rate, review, and share this podcast and follow at underscore busybeingblack on Twitter and Instagram, where you can join the conversation using the hashtag busybeingblack. Finally, thank you to Anthony Giles, a queer black Grammy-nominated producer based in New York City for these bomb-ass Busy Being Black beats. Ashe. Ashe.